0: Hey church, this is Anna from six PM, and I hope you'll grab your Bible and join me in tonight's reading from John. So if you'll turn to John fifteen twenty six. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so when their time comes, you will remember that I have warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, you will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin, because people do not believe in me about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of the world is now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it comes from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me will he will make known to you.
1: Hi church, my name is Rowena, and our second Bible reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1 to 21. So why don't you grab your Bibles and read along with me. That's Acts, chapter 2, verse 1 to 21. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Come with me to the day of Pentecost. You're in a room huddled with men and women who are utterly, utterly terrified. The last few months have been extraordinary. You, you've given your life to follow this man called Jesus. You've lived with him, you've walked with him, you've talked with him. And you watched him being tortured and spat on and beaten and then crucified. Some abandoned him, some denied him. You just doubted. But then you spent 40 wonderful days with the risen Lord Jesus. You've seen his scars, you ate, you talked with him. And then you watched him bodily ascend into heaven to be with his father. And before he left, he said these words to you from Acts chapter one, verse four. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father will send you. What did he mean? And you recall the words he spoke just after the last supper, when he said, don't be afraid. I'll ask my father, he'll send you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever. What did he mean? Suddenly, suddenly, there's this violent wind, this gush of wind. It is powerful, it is loud. And you see these, these flames come on people's heads. And suddenly you are filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes upon you, he comes in you. And you, you, you're no longer afraid. And you begin to speak in these different languages, these known languages, so you can boldly, courageously proclaim the gospel. That, my friends, is the day of Pentecost. That's the day the Spirit came. We just read about it in Acts chapter 2, and it changed the world. Who was it that changed these nervous, doubting, denying disciples into these bold, courageous evangelists? That is the Holy Spirit. Who was it that that, uh, enabled that first martyr, Stephen, to to look up and see the glory of Jesus? That was the Holy Spirit. Who was it that turned the, the murderer Saul into the missionary Paul? The Holy Spirit. Who established that early church, brought those people together, taught them, equipped them, encouraged them, the Holy Spirit. Who enabled 3,000 people to repent on one day? The Holy Spirit. Because when the Spirit of God moves in the people of God, no one and nothing can stop him. Do you remember that time when you first started to think about Jesus and you were intrigued by him and suddenly the the Bible came alive for you? That's the work of the Spirit. When you're sitting in a, a, listening to a sermon and suddenly you feel compelled and convicted and prodded, that's the work of the Spirit. When someone gives you a word in season, a word of encouragement that you just need at that moment, that's the work of the Spirit. In the Bible it's called many things, uh, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Wisdom, the Spirit of Jesus, the Counselor, the Comforter, the Guide, the Advocate. And we have the privilege to spend the next seven weeks, seven weeks looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Theologians call this pneumatology. Of course, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we we all bring our own baggage. Let's just admit that right now. So all of us here have different views. uh, On this massive spectrum, some of us are cessationalists. You are convinced that the the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, the, the sign gifts ceased at the end of the book of Acts. You've got the Bible now, you don't need them anymore. Others on the other end of the spectrum are what I call the sensationalists. Everything is about the Holy Spirit. You, you salivate, you froth at His name. It's all about the anointing. Some of us here are here are confused. We're conflicted. Some are scared of anything that is beyond your experience. And some of us have been deeply wounded by our past experience of the Holy Spirit. Some have come from excessive Pentecostal churches where you've experienced, you know, spurious prophecies and fake healings and fleshly tongue speaking, and it's left you skeptical. Others have come from, from radically reformed churches where it's almost like you worship the Father, the Son, and you give a nod to the Holy Spirit. And my aim in this series is just to sit under the Word of God and let the Word change our thinking. Are you open to that? Are you open to the word, reshaping your thinking as to who the spirit is and what he does? Are you open to what what the spirit might do in you personally and in our church? Because I'm preaching expectantly to expect the spirit to work and also expecting spiritual opposition. So where are we heading? Today I'll give you an overview for the whole series. Uh, Next week, looking at the spirit and salvation, be born again by the spirit. The week after we are Keep on being filled with the Spirit. The week after that, week four, the gifts of the Spirit. What are they? Where do we use them? How do we use them? The week after that, Romans 8, life in the Spirit. Uh, And then Galatians 5, we walk by the Spirit. And then lastly, we witness by the Spirit, look at the book of Acts. So where do we start? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for Spirit is the word ruach. It means breath. It comes over 90 times in the Old Testament. The Greek word is the word pneuma. Uh, It just means power. And it comes over 260 times in the New Testament. So the Holy Spirit is the the life-giving, powerful breath of God. And we could start with Genesis 1, with the the Spirit hovering over the waters at creation. Or Genesis 2, the the Spirit breathing life into that first man, Adam. We go to Exodus, the Spirit is there at the, the crossing of the Red Sea, passing the waters. Because if we could Judges where the Spirit comes upon Samson and Gideon, or go to Kings or Samuel, he comes upon Saul. We could go to the life of Jesus because the Spirit of there was there at his conception, at his baptism, in his ministry, at the cross, and at the resurrection. But I decided today to start in John's Gospel, in John's chapters 14 to 16. I want, I want the the second person of the Trinity the Lord Jesus Christ to introduce us to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Look at Bibles, John 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you loved me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and he will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Or oh, the world can't accept him because it neither knows him nor sees him but you know him because he lives in you, with you and will be in you. Down to verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father He will testify about me, says Jesus. And then finally, chapter 16, verse 7. Truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, here's our big idea for today. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us a divine person who helps us. The Holy Spirit is a person, a person with a personality. He's not a force or an influence. Jesus did not say, I will go and it will come, but I will go and he will come. Because the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he. The Holy Spirit does what people do. So from John 14 to 16, he, he teaches, he testifies, he convicts, he guides, he speaks, he tells. Ephesians 4, he can be grieved. Hebrews 10, he can be insulted. Acts 5, he can be lied to. 1 Corinthians, he has an intellect, he has a will. He's a person. R.A. Torrey says this, he's a holy person who comes to dwell in our hearts. If you think of the spirit as a force, you'll want more of it. If you understand the spirit to be a person, you'll want a deeper relationship with him. Now this matters hugely because any personal relationship with God must include the Holy Spirit. Our forefathers fought so hard for this truth. Back in the third century, a man called Arius was claiming the spirit was not a person and he was labeled a heretic. So the spirit is not just a personal force to harness He's a person who wants a deep relationship with you. And I think this is where some of our different movements have gone astray, in some more excessive Pentecostal movements. It's all about yielding to it, getting more of it, the it being the power. But we don't seek the power, we seek the person. Can you imagine if God said to you, here's my power, just go and use it as you see fit? That would be terrible. But God says, Here's my person, the Holy Spirit. Let him have more of you and let, let him empower you. Watch what he can do through you. And the more excessive reformed churches, they almost say you have a relationship with the Father and the Son and a, and a, a gentle nod to the Spirit. So he's a person you can relate to, but you also revere him because he's God, he's a divine person. He is fully God. He's no lesser God than God the Father or Jesus Christ. He's not just a lesser being like an angel in the Old Testament. He is fully God. So Jesus said in Matthew 28, baptise in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, an equal member of the Trinity. Every Orthodox creed states that he is God. And I hope you believe that. The Spirit does what only God can do. He has all the attributes of God. So He is eternal, Hebrews 9. He's omnipresent, Psalm 139. He's omnipotent, Isaiah 40. He's omniscient, 1 Corinthians 2, and He is holy. He is God. The best example of this is in Acts chapter 5, when you've got these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, and they steal and they lie. And Peter says in verse 3, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. then in verse 4 he says you haven't lied to men but you've lied to God because the Holy Spirit is God and again this matters hugely we do not worship the Father the Son and the Holy Bible we don't just worship God the Father and Jesus our Savior we worship a triune God Father Son and Spirit and again councils were held over this creeds were written And today this truth is denied by many, the Unitarians, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the the Mormons, the Muslims, the Christian scientists, denying that the Holy Spirit is God. It matters because if the Holy Spirit is God, we'll never fully understand him and you certainly can't contain him. And if he is God, then it's not just understanding him, but honoring him and magnifying him and adoring him and revering him as God. And because he is God, it's not what you can do with him, but what he can do with you. So he's a divine person who helps us. That's his role. He's a helper. Let's all admit it. We all need all the help we can get to live the Christian life, don't we? Where the Spirit is your helper. Look again at John 14, verse 16. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The word there is paraclete. It means to call alongside, to help, to encourage, to comfort, to counsel. Can you imagine living with Jesus? It would have been amazing to have Jesus right alongside you, teaching you and correcting you and encouraging you. That would have been amazing. But in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says something extraordinary. He says to the disciples, you're filled with grief, but you're wrong. It's a good thing I'm going away. Verse 7, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now, how could it be for their good that Jesus is leaving? What could be better than having the Lord Jesus Christ ride alongside you? And the answer is, what's better is the Holy Spirit indwelling each one of us. If Jesus didn't leave, the Spirit wouldn't come. And according to chapter 14, verse 16, he's another advocate to help you. That word, another, is so important. There are two different words for another. One means another of a completely different kind and one means another of exactly the same kind. So if if I'm reading a book, and if I don't like the book, if I hate the book, I might say to you, go and get me another book. I don't want one of the same kind. I want something completely different. But if I love the book, I think it's amazing, book. I say, you take my copy, I'll get another one. What I mean by that is another of the same kind. And that's the meaning of this word here, Jesus saying another Counselor, another advocate of exactly the same kind, another Jesus. The Spirit of God, he's another Jesus sent to help us. He's saying, I'll give you a helper as good as I have been. And what I love about verse 16 is that word forever. He will be with you forever. He's a, a permanent helper. He's not just with you for three and a half years like Jesus was or 10 or 20 or 50 years, forever. He's a global helper He's not confined to one geographical place or time like Jesus was. He's like the universalization of the presence of Jesus. He's a reliable helper, verse 17. He's a spirit of truth. He always speaks the truth. He is a personal helper, verse 17. He is with you. That's what we need, the, the spirit of God, Jesus with us. So that's who he is, the divine person who helps us. But how does he help us? And that's the next six weeks, really. So much to cover. He convicts, he converts, he applies, he assures, he equips, he empowers, he sanctifies, he unifies, he glorifies. I want to today just focus on three things. He helps us by indwelling every believer. Every believer has the spirit of God living in them. Listen to these words from John 14, verse 17. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's extraordinary. The Spirit of God is in you, not just by your side, not just speaking truth from the high, but dwelling within you, living within you. The moment that we repent and believe the gospel, the moment we're born again, the Spirit of God takes a residence inside of us. So different from the other times. In the Old Testament, before Christ, the Spirit of God came on people, upon people. So he came upon Othniel in the book of Judges to empower him for a task. He came upon Saul in, in, in Samuel and Kings to empower him for a task, and then he left them. That's why David says, don't take your spirit from me. In the time of Jesus, he was with the people through the physical presence of Jesus. But, but now he's not just on us or with us, he's in us, 24-7. He doesn't come and go. We don't get monthly installments of the Holy Spirit. We don't wake up in the morning and suddenly he's disappeared overnight. He's always there, always caring, always indwelling us. It's the most glorious truth. The presence of the Lord Jesus Christ is as, as real to you today as if you were walking with him alongside the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. It is so humbling. So when you're doubting, it's the Spirit of God in you who assures you that you're a child of God. Uh, When you're questioning, when you're struggling, it's the Spirit of God in you who's your comforter. When you don't know what to pray for, he intercedes for you. When you're feeling weak to witness to Jesus, he empowers you. It's not your words, it's his words. He is the one who convicts you of sin, yes, but also empowers you to put to death that sin. He is the one who sanctifies you, making you more like Jesus. He is the one who who gifts you and gifts me in different ways. That's what makes the church so beautiful. He is the one who unites us. His spirit's in me, it's in you, so we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And he is the one who enables us to say, Abba, Father. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The spirit of Jesus in you, Romans 8. I love this, this quote. I don't know what the Spirit will do or where He will lead me, but I invite Him to guide me. I live each day with an awareness of His strength and His power. I don't expect to be comfortable. He's leading me in the way of the cross. And that's not a safe, pretty or comfortable place to be. But I know the Spirit will never leave me and never forsake me. And He'll be never taken by surprise. So He indwells every believer. Number two, He inspires scripture. This is the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breathed. Same word, the spirit inspired word of God. So in the Old Testament, the spirit of God came upon people to enable them to prophesy. So Jeremiah didn't wake up one morning and think, oh, I'll write a prophetic book today. It was the spirit of God driving him along Two Peter chapter 1. Same in the New Testament, the, the Spirit empowered the apostles, the disciples, to, to teach the truth and to remember what Jesus taught them. That's what our verse says in John 14, 25 and 26. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. He's not, ta- not talking to you and me there. He's talking to the disciples. He will remind them what Jesus said so they could write it down. Same in John 16, verse 13. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. They'll suddenly grasp the significance of his life and his death and his resurrection and write it down for us. This is the most extraordinary gift. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no Bible. But without the Holy Spirit, you and I could never understand the Bible. So the Spirit takes the word of God and he illuminates our hearts and minds. And he applies the scriptures and he empowers us and enables us to live out that word. That's why in Ephesians 6, Paul says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let me ask you, has has the word of God ever cut you to the core? Been reading your Bibles and suddenly the lights go on. Wow, that's the work of the spirit. You've been reading the same passage time and time and time again. You see new things. That's the spirit or you're reading the Bible and suddenly he convicts you of a sin. It's like a, a big dirty thumping, thing saying, that's got to change. Get rid of that pride. Get rid of that selfishness. That's the Holy Spirit. It's not always comfortable. I get so frustrated, you know, when here in Sydney, we seem to have this constant dichotomy between the word and the spirit. And I know I'm stereotyping, but it's almost like in the blue corner, you've got the, the word Christians. They love the word. It's all cerebral and academic but there's no experience, there's no feelings. And in the red corner, you've got the spirit Christians and they're all about experience and feelings and emotions, but their theology content is a bit dodgy. But when you read the scriptures, the two come together hand in hand, word and spirit. The spirit of God inspires the word of God and interprets the word of God and applies the word of God and turns your Bible reading away from academic exercise into this soul refreshing, Thirst quenching, beautiful thing. That's why we need to pray before we read the scriptures. Psalm 119, open our eyes, Lord. Ephesians 1, give me that spirit of wisdom and understanding. Do you ever pray before you read? The Spirit of God will speak to you as you open His Word. And you know, you don't need Bible teachers, you've got the Spirit of God. But you must pray for Bible teachers that they handle the Word of God correctly. The son of John Wesley, his preaching suddenly changed. He used to preach like he was firing a bow and arrow, and all the strength of the sermon depended on how far he could pull that bow back. But then he opened himself up to the work of the Spirit, and suddenly it was like he was preaching like he was firing a rifle. Just the smallest of touch, and the word went out with power. Do you pray for your preachers and teachers? So the spirit of God helps us by indwelling us, every believer, inspiring scriptures and lastly, illuminating Jesus. That's his job. John 16, verse 14, Jesus said, he will glorify me. Again, John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, he will testify about me, Jesus Because that's his job, he was sent to to make Jesus big, to put the spotlight on Jesus, to shine Jesus. Because in Jesus, I found all the treasures of wisdom and understanding, Colossians 2. Spurgeon said, I looked to Christ and the dove flew in. I looked to the dove and he disappeared. So the spirit did not come to take centre stage. He came to make Jesus centre stage. It's like at theater, you've got these spotlights on the stage. You don't look at the spotlights, you look at the stage. On the buildings, you've got these beautiful lights. Don't look at the lights, look at the beautiful building. And the spirit is saying, Don't look at me, look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't he beautiful? That's his role to glorify Jesus. So the Spirit of God is not hurt when we fix our eyes on Jesus, He's doing his job. He doesn't feel neglected in a church if he's not mentioned in every sermon and every song, as long as Jesus is being magnified. When people say this church is lacking in the spirit, is that because we don't talk enough about Jesus? And his job is not to make you look good, but to make Jesus look amazing through you. So what's the greatest sign the Spirit of God's at work in a church? The Lord Jesus Christ is magnified. And what's the greatest sign the Spirit of God is at work in your life and my life? Is that Jesus is glorified in us and through us. So, the Holy Spirit, divine person, who's our helper, he indwells every believer, he inspires the scriptures, and he illuminates and magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Spirit now living and dwelling within me. Keep my eyes fixed ever on Jesus' face. Our Father, thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. Thank you for your indwelling, scripture-inspiring, Jesus-illuminating Spirit. And Spirit of God, would you open our hearts and our minds to see clearly who you are and what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do in our lives and the life of your church. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.